Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 169 of the Intercooler podcast with me, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. Now, last week we spoke all about Bentley, this week all about Aston Martin. Andrew has been driving a couple of very significant um, and at least one very important new Aston Martin, the DB12. Um, but there's just so much going on around the brand at the moment in Formula One, um, news of forthcoming models, news of investment in electric powertrains and investment as well from backers, the likes of GDE and um, Lawrence Stroll's investment group. So this company, which appeared to be on the brink of disaster not too long ago, now appears to be in far better health. Uh, so we discuss all of that. But before we do that, I will just remind you all to rate and review the podcast. And while you're doing it, just hit the follow button or the subscribe button on whichever app you use to listen to this podcast. It really, really helps us and it means you'd never miss an episode. So thank you for doing that and enjoy this episode. Andrew, you've spent a few days recently with the fine folk at Aston Martin, particularly on the launch of the DB12. Now, mm. there's loads that we need to discuss in this episode. There are um, new models, not least the DB12 that you've driven. There's news around the future of the company and it's um, the sort of financial position at the moment. But I just want to try and understand what the mood is like in the Aston Martin camp. I mean, do they seem chipper and optimistic? Because they haven't always. Yeah, at the moment, they seem, they seem really chipper and optimistic. And it's a kind of thing. I've been around this business for long enough to have been here before. You know, I can remember when uh, early bets came in, and I think at about 2000, 
Um, and this was pre-DB9, um, but the company was now owned by Ford and having spent all these decades, you know, with creditors banging at the door, suddenly they had some resource and suddenly they had at the helm someone who clearly knew what he was doing. Um, and he came in and he stopped the vanquish, if you remember, because he was so appalled mm. by the quality of the car um, <laughs> yeah. and delayed its launch. And that was one moment where suddenly they got themselves a new factory. They've got Ford money paying the bills. They've got a proper industry car guy at the top. Um, and suddenly anything seemed possible. So that was one moment. Um, you know, that all went very sour after a, quite a long period of time. But, you know, you all remember as well as I um, how toxic the atmosphere had become by the end of Betts's reign at Aston Martin. And again, this breath of fresh air called Andy Palmer mm. sweeping yeah. through the company. Mm. Um, they had an aware, I'm fairly sure this happened. Um, and I can't remember when I, when, I, when I was told about it, it was off the record or not, but I'm sure went, anyway, no one will care now. But th- I think things had got so bad, they had an away day where they all went somewhere. I think all the management went somewhere and basically got to call each other names for a day. <laughs> um, they had a clear the air day, which I thought mm. was a brilliant thing to do. And mm. all the old grumbles, all the stuff that had just been sort of rumbling about beneath the surfaces and all the backbiting, and it all just came out. And that kind of reset and and then and so we had the we had the Andy Palmer era and there are an awful lot of people who have an awful lot of things to say about Andy but I think his fundamental ideas were absolutely correct for the company um, I think mm. there'll be people who will quibble about the way they were actually implemented and I think that if anybody um, wanted to say there was a reason why it didn't go as well as expected um, well there was the whole IPO which was a disaster um mm. but the plan was good i mean so good that basically they're still sticking to it now um then tobias mers came along um again you'll hear such a spectrum of opinion about mers um i know some people who will tell you that he was you know he forced some very unpleasant but very necessary medicine down the throat of the company and others will go absolutely not he was a complete mm. and utter disaster for Aston Martin. And of course, it's very difficult on the outside, you know, because we yeah, as journalists, we, 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 hear, we hear both sides of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I have. Um, but certainly now, um, I think the view with Lawrence Stroll in charge and with Amadea Felisa um, running the company, I think there is a view that the, the, the grown ups are back in town. Um, mm. And you know whatever you may or may not think of Lawrence Stroll, um, he understands luxury. He understands that market. He understands what a company needs to do to succeed in that market. And the DB12 is a really interesting car because you know although he was like technically around for when the uh, the 707, the DBX 707, I think even maybe even the Vantage F1 edition came up, both of which were very well. Re- received cars this is the first car which he's sort of saying yep this is my car he wasn't around for the very very start of it but um its entire sort of development and implementation were done on his watch um and it's a very very good car Mm. it's a really good car and I, i think what i liked most about it was there was 
originally it was going to it was going to be a slightly different sort of car um and of course we don't know what it would have been like had it become what it was originally intended to be which was essentially a ferrari roma rival mm. a much more hardcore um probably stiffer um less of more of a you know sporting supercar than a a traditional grand tour um and the brakes were put on that concept and it came back and it basically is today exactly the same car in exactly the same position as the db11 but just so much better yeah refined yeah yeah refined and faster and you know what happened you know with a db11 when you really really kind of got up it it all got a bit it couldn't quite cope it got a bit sorry mm, yeah, right. and, and this doesn't this is just it's just broadened the envelope um of what it can do it probably rides as well but the handling is just of a different order and it's uh and obviously the performance is it's gone i think from like sort of 503 horsepower to 671 yeah huge increase isn't I mean, it? and it's still a, a four liter twin turbo v8 still it is still you, that then? engine and it's yeah. not without its drawbacks um and maybe we'll come to that in a minute when we talk about the car in more detail. But yeah, so you're sorry, long answer to a really quick question. What's the mood like? The mood at the moment <laughs> is very optimistic. Good. Um, okay. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we will talk about the DB12 in more detail soon because it is, it's a big deal for Aston. Um, but ju- just on sort of where Aston Martin finds itself at the moment, I mean, it really was dragged through. It, it, it had a tough time over the past few years, didn't it? Lawrence Stroll has come in with his investment group um and clearly he's he doesn't want it to fail on his watch he's got the clout he's got the um the expertise he's got the experience uh to make something of aston martin and actually it looks as though now things are quite rosy for the company so we have a new contributor don't we jim holder um yeah. formerly editorial director at haymarket and he's brilliant at the industry stuff he understands the industry he gets to talk to all the heavy hitters um, and in his first column for us, he wrote about Aston Martin under Lawrence Stroll. Um, and he, he, so this was a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, he wrote this. Um, he said that this time last year, Aston was probably and hopefully at rock bottom. Um, so things were really bleak back then. But it's been 12 months and a lot can change in that time. Um, and now Aston's in quite a different position, partly because uh, the Chinese giant, um, are we saying Geely or Geely? I never really know. I say, I say Geely, but yeah, okay. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Okay. You hear both, don't you? But Geely, so the Chinese giant Geely has increased its stake in the business to 17%. Stroll's investment group has increased its own stake. So they're both putting in a lot of money, buying up a lot of shares. So they're clearly deadly serious about it. Um, Mercedes owns a good chunk as well. And the share price has been rising. Over the last 6, 12 months, the share price has been on the up. Um, and it looks as though now Aston has some heavyweight backing from those three. Might it find itself caught in the crossfire in a power struggle as those three battle it out for control? Don't know, maybe. Um, but it does seem as though, for the first time in a while, Aston Martin is not in any great existential peril anymore. Um, and of course, the other big news around Aston Martin at the moment is the management. Not just Stroll, but the CEO and the technical bosses mm. and... Lots of the chief engineers. Ex-Ferrari um, guys. They're, they're ex-Ferrari guys. So Amadeo Felisa, CEO, um, the technical director whose name has just vanished from my Roberto mind. Roberto Fidelia. Thank you. <laughs> I knew you'd have it. Sorry. Um, and, there are, and there are others there as well. Um, now, the interesting thing here for me is that 
there's a lot of talk around Aston Martin um, of a repositioning, and they use this word intensity a lot, don't they? Um, intensity, full stop, driven, full stop, and all that stuff. Um, and it's what's quite clear is that Aston Martin is trying to become a more exciting, livelier, perhaps more youthful brand, um, trying to throw off some of this reputation it's um, had over the years, a slightly fusty kind of image of older buyers, the gentleman's express um, of walnut and leather and all that mm. stuff. Um, and I, I'm thinking about it now, traditionally, Aston has probably sat somewhere in the middle between Bentley on the one hand and Ferrari on the Absolutely. other. And those two are in very happy places, aren't they? Neither of those are in any great hurry to move. But Aston Martin is t- trying hard to swing towards Ferrari because being in that middle spot hasn't been working for it. So it's trying to become more exciting. Uh, I see. I, um, yeah, but, but I think you have to ask the question, why hasn't it been working? Has it been not been working because the product's in the wrong position? Or has it been not working because it's... <laughs> It, it you know the cars just aren't haven't been as good as those of its yeah. best rivals, and I think that and I think this is probably what lay behind that original decision that I was talking about to make the DB12 a much more Ferrari like car, and I think it is very mm. significant that they have reversed that. You know I think mm. it is you only have to look at Jaguar as an example of a company that really really came a cropper trying to be like something else, trying to be a BMW. Trying mm. to make a three series. Don't. Mm. I think that Aston Martin, my view is that Aston Martin, I think there is a huge amount of space between a Continental GT and a Roma. And that yeah. traditionally, to me, Aston Martins, and I think one of the things I love most about Aston Martins, they've never been the fastest car on a straight line or around a circuit. They've never had the best ride quality. And that suggests, I suppose, I might say, well, that shows how compromised they are. But to me, it doesn't. It just shows that they are confidence and balanced exactly um mm. and you know and, and comfortable in their in their own skin and i uh, i'm really glad that i think what they probably mean what i hope they mean by say they want to be more like ferrari is they want to have ferrari like margins um <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, sure you know, and, and, and i guess that probably means charging ferrari like money for it uh, I, I i think that probably w- that's probably what it means i mean look as another example um at the mid-engine cars now, well, my, that's it, yeah. now my, my understanding was that, well, I, I know this absolutely for a fact, because Andy Palmer told me that there was going to be a mid-engine production car. After the Valkyrie and after the Valhalla, there was going to be a mid-engine production mm. car, mainstream production car, and that the whole um, strategy of doing the Valkyrie and going into Formula One and doing all this was to establish Aston Martin in the mid-engine space so yeah. that they had credibility so that when they finally launched the car that really mattered, the production car, the rival to the 296 GTB or the McLaren 720S or whatever they're calling it this week, um, then it would be credibility and it would be accepted and people wouldn't go, well, hang on a second, what's an Aston Martin doing here? That's not mm-hmm. happening anymore. Yeah, pity. It's been confirmed now, hasn't it? Yeah, they're mid-engine. They will make mid-engine cars, and I think they'll continue to. But they'll all be limited edition cars. So mm. they'll be Valhalla, very, Valkyrie, very expensive, a bazillion pound. What's it? Whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that again suggests to me that Aston Martin is no longer going to try and out Ferrari, Ferrari, and it's music to my ears because they won't do it. No. Because people will just go and buy a Ferrari mm. in the same way mm. that. You know, Jaguar discovered that people would just rather have would just go and rather 
by a 320d bmw yeah. Um, yeah. And, and on previous podcasts, we have all, we have said about Jaguar that Jaguar has always been at its best when it's leading and not following. And you look back through the mm-hmm. history of that company, from the XK120 up to the I-Pace, that's absolutely the truth about Jaguar. And I think that Aston Martin should have that confidence and a sense of its own identity and go, right, this is us. You know, If you want a car which is much better to drive than a Bentley, uh, but not quite as in-your-face or ostentatious as a Ferrari, here we are. And are. I think that's a very good place to be. It's also exactly where its brand values are. And I think you abandon that at your peril. That's right. And um, yeah, we, we don't want to see Aston Martin swing all the way to Ferrari because it'll just get steamrolled um, by Ferrari and, and anyone would. Um, but you can see it drawing inspiration from Marinello, shall we say. And the cars that it is producing now... Well, think about the Vantage F1 edition. That's the harder-edged, yeah. racier, sportier kind of car. Great DBX car. 707, mm. great car. Again, a bit more, well, intense to use their word. Mm. Um, so it's clearly trying to move at least a little bit in that direction um, because it seems that's what buyers want. That's, what, or that, it, that's clearly what the management believes, is that buyers want not, you know, not a bone-rattling ride, um, but something a bit more sporting, a bit more youthful and exciting than certain Aston Martins of old. Um, and it's, it, for the moment, it appears to be working. Um, so the DB12, mm. I mean, are they sort of pitching this thing as a, a whole new era for Aston Martin? Does it feel like a new start? Are they trying to Do- say that it is? It doesn't feel like a new start to me at all. They call it the world's mm. first Super Tourer. I think that's what they yeah. call it, ignoring all those wonderful touring cars um that used to race in the 1990s um i think that's one of those phrases that marketing or pr departments come up with to allow Mm. to allow lazy journalists to a hook something to hang their story on because it kind of just writes itself after that to me it is um replacement for the db11 and there's nothing wrong with that Mm. it's to me it, it sits in exactly the same space it's trying to be exactly the same car as the db11 but just doing it wildly better yeah, and I think that's yeah, yeah. great. It doesn't strike me as being a new beginning at all. I mean, yeah, I guess the hoary old cliche would be to say it's always the car the DB11 should have been from the start. Um, well, it couldn't have been because you know Aston Martin didn't have the resources or the technology to do it at the time. Um, but um, yeah, it's not a new beginning at all, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. So it hasn't gone all hardcore this DB12, like you said. It, no. There were plans for it to be a, a sort of harder edge model, but it's not at all. It's still a Still a Grand Tourer, even though they call it a Super Tourer. Yeah, Evidently I, still a GT. I, I, I had a very <laughs> difficult introduction to it because yeah. I turned up a day and a half late to the launch, um, thanks to our friends at British Airways. To, to a two-day launch, yeah, you yeah. didn't have long. I had an afternoon at a two-day launch, and I turned up exhausted because I had to get up half past three, three in the morning twice. Um, and I had, yeah, um, well, I think I wrote this in my piece, didn't I? I had like five hours with the car. Yeah. and the route Napoleon, a Col de Vence. And it did strike me, and I've written about this in the story that's on the Intercooler app and website, that actually it was a really, really good test of a car because mm. I couldn't just go and find a corner of a building and curl up and go to sleep. I had to drive it. I had to drive it. So the car had to keep me awake and, um, and interested and entertained, but also it would have driven me scatty if it hadn't you know, ridden properly and been reasonably refined and that sort of thing. So it was quite unintentionally a fantastic test 
for that particular car and it, and it passed it with flying color to the extent that by the time i eventually got to the same it was actually it was the same hotel they'd launched the db9 out of and i remembered it very well because it was right on the route and it was just a really really um good place to do that from by the time i got there i'd forgotten i was tired that's how good it was mm. so it was yeah it does it, a lot yeah, and I, I, can, I can remember having, to the extent that, you know, you, I would go down a certain bit of road, have so much fun, like, let's just turn around and go back over it again, which is the sort of thing you tend to do if you've got all the time in the world and you're in an amazing sports car um, and you're just having fun. But I was really, really up against it time-wise, and I was exhausted, and I still found myself doing it. And if the car was good enough to make me do that, then I think it's a pretty good car. Talk to me about the interior because it looks like it might be a new age of Aston Martin interiors. They've often been quite ropey, um, old tech in them, inherited from Volvo or from Mercedes Benz yeah. or whoever. Yeah, yeah, better it, now. It, it, it definitely. Oh yeah, massively better now. I mean, I, I think the interior will get a very good press and has had a very good press because people compare it to what it was like before. Actually, yeah. that says more about how bad the old interior was. Um, than how good the new interior. I think the new interior is good. It looks very luxurious. The materials are lovely. Um, I really, really like the fact that you get these strange things called buttons. Remember them? Mm, Which make on. things Talk work. What them. happens is you press them <laughs> and they make things work. Wow. You don't find yourself just sort of stabbing forlornly at some bit of a touchscreen. So that's, you know, so all that is work. And so I, I'm, I'm not damning the faint praise at all. It's a really good interior. It's a spectacularly good interior for an Aston Martin. Um, unbelievably, to me at least, they've done their own infotainment system from scratch, mm. in-house. Um, which is, a, remember when McLaren tried to do this with the... Iris. With Iris. With the 12C from yeah. launch. And eventually <laughs> they just gave up with it. Um, because yeah. it was so fraught. And I can remember, I think it was a Ron Dennis decision that they should do it because no one else could possibly do it as well as McLaren. And there were people in the company going, no, 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 no. You could just get these things off the shelf, please. And he wouldn't have it. Um, and, and the Aston system is good. It's not great. It's not as good as the Ferrari system. not as good as the system that you get in a, in a Roma. I don't like the shape of the screen, which is letterbox. It's very wide, but not very mm. deep or tall. Um, and I'm someone who always has their navigation on north up. And if you, you know, and if you're going north, ah. north up screen, um, yeah. on a very long, thin screen, then you know you, you you don't get to see very much of where it is you're driving. So I changed the shape about it, but it is a good interior, um, mm. and it's, it is. I think the most important thing to say about it, it is no longer a reason all by itself to not buy the car, um, yeah. which I think the old yeah. one was, and certainly the previous ones were. Um, well, you've been driving a, a, another broadly comparable Aston Martin recently, the DBS 770 Ultimate, so clearly the ultimate version of the DBS. Yeah. Um, sort of previous generation, I suppose, if we can delineate the two cars that way. V12, £130,000 more expensive. I just wonder how they sort of compare, you know, which one feels more desirable to you? If, if, if I could have one... For, you know, and, and money was not uh, a significant yeah. factor, so they're both free or both the same price. Um, I'd have the DB12. Ah, yeah, interesting. I'd have the DB... Well, because it's just, it's just a more usable car. I mean, the DBS 770 is... It's actually... It's another really good step, and again, it's that old thing of it being the car the original should have been all the time. 
I remember you and I went to Le Mans in the DBS. Must have been about four or five years yeah. ago. And it's not yeah. a car that I've ever been particularly enamoured of. Particularly mm. when the DB11 AMR came out. Do you remember that? The sort of slightly firmer, yeah. more precise. Um, I just couldn't understand why people would spend all that extra money on a DBS. Particularly because it had such immense traction problems uh you couldn't use most of the power most of the time um <laughs> yeah. you remember that you know you're just looking at a traction control light all the time um and i just thought it was you know way i guess a way of charging an awful lot more money for what was a pretty similar car to a db11 um i thought the 770 ultimate i was surprised by the lengths that they had gone to given that this was you know let's not be shy about this a run out special um, but they changed its look and they changed um, the engine and the transmission and the suspension. I mean, they've been through everything and mm. they tightened it up and it was a really, really joyously fun car to have a good trip across country in. But mm. as you and I know, cars are not just about driving, they're about living with too. And I just, yeah, I mean, okay, I'm a, I'm a bloke in late middle age. Maybe I would say this as much about me as it does about the car. But no, I just have a DB. I just have a uh, a DB12 because point to point, it'll be at least as fast. It'll just be more comfortable. It'll be more refined. It'll work better. It would annoy me less. It's also one hundred and thirty thousand pounds cheaper. Um, yeah. yeah, but there is something to be said about uh, V12 Aston. So okay, the Valkyrie's got a V12. I think we can exclude that from this discussion now. Because the DB12, it seems a shame, doesn't it? They've called it DB12, and as it stands, you can't get a twelve-cylinder. Will there be one? Or they say it... not. And actually, yeah. unlike some other manufacturers who say they're not going to do a certain sort of engine in a certain sort of car, I kind of believe these guys because I think mm. what they've decided... They, what they've said the DB12 will um, endure. Not the DB12, so the 12-cylinder engine will endure. And they haven't said what it's going to be in. But I will bet you all the tea in China that it'll be in the DBS replacement. Mm. Uh, which we will see within the year and won't be called DBS. And I think the reason it won't be called DBS is because they're no longer doing the production mid-engine car. So, and this is all spe- speculation on my car. Nobody's told me this, but I, um, I'd be surprised if the replacement for the DBS isn't A, called Vanquish, and B, has a V12 in it. Mm, well, you heard it here first. Uh, we'll see, I suppose, aren't we? We'll see. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. There is also news of uh, a forthcoming, very limited edition Aston Martin that we can't talk about, sadly. We'll break the embargo by about 24 hours if we do talk about it now. Um, But 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll, sorry, oh, that's frustrating. I know you'll have to keep an eye on the Intercooler app and website to so, so see what, what we're talking about. So, so what can we say without getting into enormous amounts of trouble? Because the, what the really annoying thing is, you and I know all about this car. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it'll be exciting. I can say that. Can we, can we say it's got a V name? Uh, you may say that I couldn't possibly comment, but yes. Um, oh, well, I mean, it, it, I think the embargo list on Wednesday evening, doesn't it? So everybody will know all about it. It's then. Ch- ch- Tuesday evening. Tuesday, so very, very Tuesday. Soon. So, so, so it's yeah. very, very soon. If you're going to the Festival of Speed, um, I don't know this actually, um, but I'm guessing it'll be there this weekend. Mm. Um, and okay, I, we wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't think it was worth talking about. We wouldn't be talking about a car we can't talk about unless we thought yeah, it yeah. was a car we, you know. So it's not what it isn't. It's not a. It's not the. It's not that they've decided to sell the until now Chinese market only straight six version of the DBX in this country. Mm. It's not that. No. Nor is it a sticker set for the Vantage. No, it's something that if we could talk about it, we talk about really quite a lot in great detail. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's just annoying for everyone isn't it oh, well. yeah but there um, you go but, 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 but honestly watch this space because um, it, it looks like fun it could be quite cool couldn't it yeah and then the other news that's this, this is why we're talking about Aston Martin right now because there is an awful lot going on um, yeah. and that's even before we get to Formula 1 we'll come on to that in a moment but um, there was news last week of its tie-in with Lucid um, the EV is it still the startup? I don't know really. I think it is yeah um, yeah, okay, so um, very sort of top-endy EV startup, a Californian concern, isn't it? Um, and Aston Martin and Lucid are going to be working together, collaborating on battery electric cars. Um, and Aston Martin has said that working with Lucid, they will produce a, a portfolio of ultra-luxury, high-performance, electrified Aston Martin hypercars, sports cars, GTs, and SUVs. Um, so there's... An awful lot coming. Well, that's everything, isn't um, it? That's everything they that's make. That's the whole lot. That is the whole lot, isn't it? Yeah. And so it's part of a two billion pound investment in technology. Um, and they say actually, Mercedes will continue to provide Aston Martin with other electronics, with um, powertrains, uh, engines, combustion engines, and other bits and pieces. So it's not the end of that tie-in. Um, uh, I, I don't. But there we go. Know. That is a, a new era, isn't it, for Aston Martin? Yeah, I don't know enough, um, frankly, because I haven't gone into it in sufficient detail, which is no, um, not me. Which is my mistake, really. But I just I don't know whether this is a, sort of like a, a comparable arrangement to the one that Rimac had with um, with Bugatti and Porsche, mm. and it's now you know the, the, it, it, it's now this quite complicated ownership structure. But whereas basically Rimac's become a sort of integral part of that operation. But it's it's interesting to see because I guess if you thought Aston Martin clearly need an EV everyone needs an EV um, yeah. you'd think that they would just go and get you know Mercedes have spent so much money haven't they getting all their EV platforms and that sort of thing that that, that, that would be the first port of call but it hasn't been mm. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend I really have any understanding at all of why they have gone in such a different direction um, but as we said earlier the people who now run the company are proper grown-ups um, and mm. th- th- this will not be a decision that will have been taken lightly so I think it's really interesting um, and we watch this space with uh, yeah with, with, with interest but um, 
Maybe maybe the management considered that working with Lucid rather than Aston, uh, sorry, rather than Mercedes, gives them more flexibility or allows them to achieve um, exactly what they want. Yes. You know, rather than having just hand me down. Um, componentry they can do their own thing perhaps I don't know it's, it's always the way isn't it you know it is a slightly Faustian pact I'm not saying this about Mercedes in particular I think it's whenever any small company goes into a, a JV with something really really big and it's the reason actually that um, Andy Palmer decided not to go and use a Mercedes-Benz platform for the DBX yes I mean yes. it's yes. extraordinary that um, Aston Martin decided to build a factory and build a brand yeah. new brand new platform yeah. within that factory to produce a brand new car because they so didn't want to have to rely on mm. mercedes-benz platforms so it's got form in doing this isn't it yeah um and we have, i mean sadly when aston martin has decided to do things on its own which normally you would have gone some, to someone else to do when you're that size company like you know, make its own engines. You know, the two, the two engines, Aston Martin in its post-war life has made, designed two engines itself. They both nearly killed the company. So there was the straight <laughs> six that came in with the DB4 in 1959. And then there was the V8, which was meant to have turned up in about 1965, didn't actually get into a car until the end of that decade. And, you know, that's why ever after Aston Martin has you know, got engines from somewhere else and they've adapted them and everything else. But, you know, there hasn't been a homegrown engine in an Aston Martin, you know, a brand new one designed since the 1960s. And there's a very good reason for that. But yeah, so um, this Lucid thing is very, very interesting. I mean, what does it allow them to do which they couldn't have done otherwise? I mean, it allow them to do massive things. But it's a trade-off, isn't it? You know, do you want to have a completely reliable, probably affordable, um, clearly very good supply of stuff which isn't yours and you have little control over or do you want to become master of your own destiny um specify precisely what it is you're going to be getting but at the same time have to accept that it's going to be a much more uncertain route um and you know it'll probably cost you more to do it will you be able to charge that much more for the product at the end of it maybe maybe not it's a but you know, as you say, Aston Martin, you know, they, they never they, they never shrink away from this, do they? They they always no. go for it. Sometimes it, it comes back and a, bites them on the ass, yeah. and sometimes it works out. <laughs> it speaks to a certain kind of confidence, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, actually, talking of confidence, did you see Autocar reported uh, a couple of weeks ago that Lawrence Stroll um, has said that he deserves a knighthood for what he's done to save Aston Martin and save all the thousands of jobs that he has done. Um, now, because it's auto car reporting, I, I, I'm sure it's it's accurate. Oh, it will be. Um, what I don't know is, Stroll could have said that with a wink or with a, a smirk, you know, and then that totally changes the meaning. However, it is hard to imagine him saying something with a wink and a smirk, isn't it? No, it's not actually. I can hear him saying no, it. Isn't it? Yeah, no, no, no I sat okay. down with them a couple of times and... Um, I, I think sometimes he does say things in a sort of certain slightly knowing way because i think he knows how he is perceived and yeah. i think he plays up to that a bit <laughs> so yeah, okay. right. uh, I, I can hear him saying it um and wishing to be taken not entirely literally but maybe mm. he did i don't know i wasn't there 
perhaps he genuinely thinks he deserves a knighthood. Well, <laughs> maybe he will eventually. Um, okay, so we do need to talk. You, you can't discuss Aston Martin in 2023 without talking about Formula One, can you? Yeah. Because it's been one of the stories of the year. Yeah. Um, they've been scoring podiums, almost challenging for wins. Not quite. That Red Bull is so fast, but Fernando's been um, certainly best of the rest on a few occasions. Um, however, you know, we've just had the British Grand Prix. Yeah. And Lance Stroll was nowhere. Fernando Alonso finished seventh, having not qualified terribly well either. Um, and, of course, what's happening is that other teams, certainly McLaren, have come flying through the pack. Um, and last week, <clears throat> yesterday at least, that was the, the fastest car other than the, the Red Bull, wasn't it? Um, so is, is that what we're going to see now, do you think? Are the others, are Mercedes and Ferrari and McLaren getting their act together? And are, are they going to displace Aston Martin? What's your instinct? Or do you think Aston Martin can come back swinging in the next few races and remain competitive, stay on the podium? Okay, okay, what I don't understand about this season is, you know, there have been, I think, three big surprises this season the first one obviously was that mercedes weren't back at the front Mm. the second was that aston martin were yeah um and the third one has been mclaren which apparently had a complete mutt at the start of this season yeah they beat not just the aston martins they beat both mercedes they beat both ferraris Mm. um you know second and they didn't didn't luck in they didn't luck in it wasn't one of those no, it wasn't on one of those where the, you know, the weather was a bit dodged and a yeah. few people fell off and you know, they got lucky with the pit stops or the safety car. Absolutely no. not. No, they, they were where they were, second and fourth, sorry, because um, mm. Lewis is third. Um, on merit alone, there was a car which, on that circuit, on that weekend, and that circuit is a, pretty, is a, is a humdinger of a circuit, as you know mm. as well as me. Um, and, it's, and it's actually got a bit of everything because it's got some pretty slow corners in it. Mm, um, yeah. You know, the old, um, the Luffield complex and, you know, the new bit that they built after the so wind. Village. Yeah, uh, all that, you know, so it's got, and it's got the, it's got, you know, the, the Beckett's complex, which I think is the most exciting combination of corners in motor racing. So, you know, it, they would seem to me to have a car which is, generally speaking, just bloody quick. And I mm. guess it just, what I don't understand is I can't remember another season where um, cars which, you know, from one minute of nowhere, as in Aston Martin last season, McLaren at the beginning of this season, could come along with, you know, updated cars and suddenly leapfrog the entire field. And yet Mercedes comes along, you know, having had a bad start to the season um, with its big, right, you know, complete change of philosophy, you know, the, the whole, you know, side podless um philosophy goes out the window and they come back and yeah it's made a difference mm. but it hasn't stuck them right up the front they've still only qualified sixth and seventh i think it was wasn't it so yeah so i can't i can't read this season and and you know and maybe it is all about the scheduling of when the various constructors decide to bring their their new bits but what i'm finding very surprising is that those new bits are making such a difference you know, I don't know how much time McLaren yeah. have found, but it's got to be a second or more, hasn't it, to be able to... It's huge, isn't yeah, it? it is absolutely massive. What upgrade? Well, fair play to them. Yeah. Is it a flash in the pan, though? We're just going to have to sit back and wait and see, aren't we? But Where do they go it next? Would almost Where, be... they, go to, they go to Hungary next, don't they? Hungary, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. well that'll be interesting. So a very different sort of circuit. As different a circuit as you can get. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, 
I, for one, would like to see Aston remain competitive. I think it would be a shame if they genuinely have slipped back um, as others have moved Too early forward. to say. It's too early, it's too to, early say. to say. Yeah. But um, they're, they're also at, ahead of their own sort of five-year plan, aren't they? Yeah. The factory hasn't come on, on stream yet. And their wind um, tunnel. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So they really are building the foundations to establish themselves as a competitive team on. So Stroll told me, he talked to me about three components i think one was you know getting the factory the other was the wind tunnel and the third was the staff um and once you've got those you don't really have an excuse then again you know we've seen this before look at you know toyota at the start of the century they had absolutely yeah, everything, had couldn't, everything win, couldn't, yeah. c- c- couldn't win a race for love nor money so you know, mm. just because you've got it doesn't mean it's going to work for you but you know they are certainly putting themselves in the position whereby you know, it seems ridiculous to say this now, but you could see in, what, five, six years' time, Aston Martin having a run like Mercedes has just had, or like Red Bull has had, or like Ferrari had at the start mm. of the century. You could see it. Of mm. course, because the Formula One team isn't actually Aston Martin, it's just Aston Martin branded, it's Lawrence Stroll's team, essentially. It may not be called Aston Martin by then, who knows? Um, but Ah, now, Okay. So let's say that next year they're even more competitive, okay? It's a tighter pack. Aston, uh, Mercedes have sorted themselves out. Ferrari have sorted themselves out. McLaren is still there. Red Bull still very, very quick. You are, you are Lawrence Stroll. Yeah. Um, you're fantastically rich. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Your beloved son has been in the second Oh, Aston I know what Martin. you're going to ask. Go on. He's been comprehensive. Young, young Lance. You know, there's no doubt he's a talented driver. Yeah. But he's been massively outclassed by Fernando Alonso, As, who wouldn't be. Yeah, who wouldn't be, exactly. But is he now becoming a limiting factor for that team? And would you, as the boss man, have to have a word with your son and say, it's been fun. For the sake of the team, we have to go elsewhere. I did ask someone at the team. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to the Monaco Grand Prix. And I asked someone... At Aston Martin, that exact question. Mm. Um, I won't say who it was, um, but he was absolutely certain that Lawrence Stroll would never fire his son. Oh. Gosh. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because it does sort <laughs> of slightly fly in the face of this sort of Machiavellian, you know, yeah. do what needs to be done approach. Um, and maybe. That is his view, but that it has a limit, and you know, kicking your son out is, you know, is is is, is where he draws the line. Mm. Yeah, and and mm. also, okay, uh, allow me to. This is slightly devil's advocate, but is he, is he any worse than number two at the moment than Perez? Oh, Perez, that is an interesting question. You know, Was could, it you, four, could you four not or five in a, in a row? He's missed Q three in qualifying. Yeah, well, Max has been on pole. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know could you not just shape him into just say to him look kiddo um, Mm. you're doing well you're clearly god this sounds so patronising doesn't it given that he could outdrive me with his eyes shut while fast asleep (laughs) but um, you're not Fernando um, and so your job is you'll still be a Formula 1 driver you'll still be an Aston Martin Formula 1 driver but your job is to back him up and we're going to 
now divert all our attentions to honing you to performing that role. You're going to become the world's best number two. I don't think there's any dishonour in that. I mean, you probably don't like it very much, but I think that is strategically. And I think that he is. You know, if you look at the... When you get an incredible driver, and by which I mean a Lewis or a Fernando or a Max, just because you can't keep up with them, you know, look at Bottas and Lewis, look at, at, at Checo and, and Max... It's, it's a fool's errand, isn't it? Trying to compare mm. and say, oh, yes, you know, we're equal number one or, or whatever, because you're just not. No, and, no, no. and I think that I don't think that he is any further behind Alonso than you would expect to someone who could be cast in the role of a perfectly proficient number two driver. And I think that's what will happen because you won't fire mm. him. Meanwhile, though, Alonso, what's he, 41 or something? Yeah. Um, he does talk about Lance leading the Aston Martin team one day. Now, I think that's a stretch. That's a stretch. That's not going to happen. They're going to have to bring in a, a real hot gun, aren't they? If they well, that, that's if they not, that's to not be... going to happen because if Aston Martin is to, if the Aston Martin Formula One team is to realise Lawrence Stroll's aspirations yeah. for it, you can't do that without a top driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that. With the best will in the world, if Lance Stroll was going to be a top driver, we'd have seen it by now. Yes. Oh, and, so, yes. and so if he leads that team, by definition, they don't have a top driver in the team. And mm. therefore they won't achieve, you know, they won't win championships. Okay, but, but perhaps maybe Fernando will do a couple more years and then maybe... Lance is a, a sort of de facto number one, but they've got a young 21-year-old Who in blows the doors off him. Yeah, perhaps that's what they're lining up. You know, maybe well, there's then, a, an well, Oscar Piastri you, you, you coming know, through can, or something. You can call a cat a dog. It doesn't make it a dog, does it? You know, you can say, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you can say, okay, Lance, you're number one driver, but if your number two driver's blowing you into the weeds every weekend, yeah. um, you're not a number one driver. That's just what it says in your T-shirt. But he, he would be the, the older, more experienced driver, perhaps the wiser head by then. I don't know. But maybe, maybe that's what will ultimately happen. Um, but I agree. I, I, don't, I don't think Lance has... You know, he's been racing a while now in F1. I don't think he's demonstrated that he's a Max Lewis, Charles, he's not, Fernando. But, you know, who is? No, no, no. Yeah. Just those guys. Okay. All right. That's Aston Martin. Well, there's, there's so much going on around the, the market at the moment. It's, it's fascinating to see it unfold. Um, and of course, we'll... We'll stay tuned to everything that's going on at Aston Martin. Yeah. A um, couple of things before we go. Goodwood Festival of Speed this coming weekend. Yes. We'll both be there. Yeah. Um, it's a big one, isn't it? Because it's 75 years of Goodwood Motor Circuit, 30 years of the Festival of Speed. Mm. Um, and there are some other anniversaries being celebrated. Porsche is there celebrating Porsche its own 75 years. 75 years. Headline sponsors. So they've got the big yeah. um, display outside the front of the house. Yeah. I think they're, Six, bring, they're bringing years over. 9-11. They're bringing over half the museum i think um there's an awful lot of um very very yeah. delicious stuff um on its way from stuttgart to goodwood right now um yeah so it's um well if you're going i mean yeah dan and i will be there um i'm there for the duration i'll get there thursday morning i'll leave at some stage on sunday um if you happen to see us come and say hello um yeah it's always good to chat to you guys uh, find out what you're thinking try to persuade you to subscribe to the web and <laughs> website and the app um but you know just hope that if you are going you have a you have a cracking weekend um we certainly intend to i'll be wobbling my way up the hill and a thing or two undoubtedly um yeah and just you know yeah. it, it'll be interesting won't it because you know the festival of speed is always an amazing 
spectacle. But because this is 75 years of Goodwood and the 30th anniversary, my goodness, that makes me feel old because I remember the first so clearly, um, the 30th anniversary of the festival itself, you, you, you kind of imagine that the Duke is going to really, really pull out all the stops for this one. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Can't I wait. So. There'll be a couple of interesting um, debuts. We're going to see Lamborghini's LMDH Le Mans car. Yeah. Lamborghini going racing at Le Mans. La- Lamborghini going racing. I mean, that's, a, that's another subject we haven't. You know, maybe we, well, we've got yeah. lots of time before because I don't think it's going to be on the grid until. Is it on the grid next year? Probably is if it's an LMDH Ooh, car. But, um, you know, Lamborghini goes endurance racing as a works factory team. You know, that yeah. hasn't happened before. No, fascinating. Yeah. Lamborghini doesn't really have a great deal of racing heritage, sort of bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah I think its greatest racing heritage is on, is on water. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah powerboat is, racing. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, obviously there's been a Lamborghini Formula One engine and there have been bits here and there, but nothing really. No, um, no. But, I, but, do you know, I think from Lamborghini's point of view, it's an absolute, I mean, unlike Porsche, um, whose LMDH car is not performing as well as it hoped at the moment. Lamborghini, it's a complete... It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Because it's not a very expensive program. And no, there are no expectations because there's no previous. So why not right. just go in there? And I think you, even if you're just out there and if you manage to, you know, duff up a Porsche or a Ferrari every so often, then so much the better. But, you know, it's yeah. not like Porsche and Ferrari where there is this grinding weight of expectations on your shoulders um, every time you, you, you wheel out a new mm. sports car. It's cool. One of the other things I'm looking forward to seeing is the Caterham Project 5, uh, the EV sports car. Mm. Um, I think you've got the photos in front of you. I haven't seen them No, yet, and also, they're all bloody embargoes. I can't talk about that either. It, but, okay. No. Okay, I don't care. It looks amazing. <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay. Oh, it, brilliant. It just looks amazing. Um, I think they've done a bang-up job with it. I can't give you any of the details of the car. Um, yeah. I don't know whether I'm breaking an embargo by saying it looks amazing. Um, am I breaking an embargo by saying it looks amazing? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out <laughs> when the letter lands. <laughs> when the letter lands. Um, but it does look amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, so we'll see that uh, later on this week. Brilliant. Can't wait. There are some others as well. Um, it's going to be a busy one. There's an awful lot going on. As Andrew says, if you see us um, ambling about, come and say hello. Um, I, I did have a really good listener question uh, ready to go, but it's a, it's a great question and it's going to take a while to discuss it so we'll leave it for now um we will do it next week particularly because it's pertinent to a story that is coming up on the ti app and website very soon um we had a fun down friday didn't we shooting oh, three we? yeah three porsche 911s um i'm sure the photos are going to be brilliant your story will be excellent i'm, I'm sure and that are we no going to see it this week do you think my story <laughs> yeah watch this space um <laughs> possibly <laughs> possibly okay it's very much okay, a no work pressure. in progress pile at the moment <laughs> no pressure all right um well we'll leave it there and hopefully we'll see some of you at goodwood um, yeah. over do the next come few and say days hello. do uh and yeah tune in next week for another episode cheers